Welcome to Speak Up International with Rita Burke and Elton Brown. So far, we have had the pleasure of interviewing individuals from far and wide. These are people who enrich our community, the Black community, by their contributions. These are people we like to call community builders. Today, we have with us Debbie King, who is a parent a community organizer who was elected in 2022 as the TDSB trustee for Ward 7 Parkdale. Debbie is the founding member and co-chair of the Black Student Success Committee. She also served on the committee that was responsible for the name change from Queen Victoria to Rita Cox, to our dear listeners, Debbie King is here with us to inspire, to educate, and to inform. Let us welcome Debbie King. It is so uh, good to uh, have you on board this morning on a hot day. We're looking at, what, 37? Debbie, what do you do to keep cool on hot days like this? <laughs> I hadn't even checked the uh, forecast for today, so thank you for the heads up. <laughs> I am uh, very blessed here in my Parkdale home. I have uh, an apartment that has a balcony space. Uh, my husband and I have just taken some time to revitalize that space, uh, and it has been a treat to sit outside under the sky. I don't know if it's necessarily cooler in that way, but at least being able to uh, lean in and enjoy the heat and the warmth in the season. So you take care of everything. And that sounds very exciting, Miss Debbie King. Now, in your bio, you tell us that you are a community organizer. Help our audience, help our listeners understand what a community organizer does, please. Sure, I can do that. And I, I'll start by saying that was actually uh, a title or a description that was used to describe me. It was something that I read that somebody else had used to describe me and not necessarily a term or a reference that I had really attributed to myself before that. And it forced me to actually think about that and say, community builder, am I a community organizer? Am I a community builder? And when I thought about it, I realized absolutely, because all of that, all that means is that you are somebody, anybody who has recognized a need and who has stepped up into action, whether you've done that partnering with one other person, whether you've done that with a vaster group, whether you've done that in a more organized way, if you have stepped up and taken action to address a need and to service your community, your neighbors, then you have organized and you have built and you can absolutely own and embrace that title. As a community builder and during your tenure, what would you like to see built? <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful question. I think that I have some ideas about what I would like to see built. I would love to see the capacity of parents and community continue to come together to impact and affect and shift the direction of public education to make sure that various perspectives, lived experiences, 
uh, are all being captured. And so that we're creating an education system that truly lifts our students, lifts our children and helps them to succeed. That's my vision. I think that's the vision that many folks share. But I think what's really wonderful is that we all have creative visions. We all have ideas. We all have um, different routes, different possibilities that we see. And I think what's important is not necessarily just what I see, but it's being able to create the capacity and the opportunities for other people to come to the table with their ideas and the things that they want to see built in response to their needs as well. So on Speak Up International, we seek to inspire, educate, and inform through the stories of our guests. So today, I would like for you to think a little bit about that day when you woke up and decided, I, Debbie King, will be throwing my hat in the ring to become a trustee. What made you go after that position? I can tell you about that day and I can tell you about that moment very specifically. It was June of 2020, so we're talking about three years ago now. And together with the other women that had formed the Black Student Success Committee at what was then Queen Victoria Public School, it is now Dr. Rita Cox Kinamanogak Public School in Parkdale, we had organized together a walk against racism. And as part of that event, I, along with a, a couple of other parents, spoke to the crowd. So there was a moment, Rita and Elton, where I was standing on a picnic table in the playground in the yard of this public school, holding the microphone, addressing a crowd of about 300. 300 students, parents, community neighbors that had all come together for this event. We were gathered in the yard and then we were going to head out on our walk, on our march against racism. And when I was on the mic, I was speaking. I hadn't prepared my words. I had just decided to speak in that moment. I knew what the day was about. I knew the message that we wanted to convey. I didn't script it. And as I spoke, there was a moment where I could, in a sort of -of out-of-body moment, I was able to hear the words that I was saying as they were coming out of my mouth. And what I was saying down there in Parkdale at King and Jameson was that we wouldn't allow a group of individuals to sit up in an office at 5050 Young Street and make decisions for our community when they were not willing to listen, engage, and spend the time to understand what that community needed. So when I stood there and said that those people don't get to make decisions for us, we make our decisions, we know what we need. That's the moment when I heard my own words and said, well, who's got to sit at that table then? I guess it got to be one of us. I seriously started to entertain the idea of that position. And it really felt like the universe conspired, God conspired to help that happen because in that same day, I had two other people come up to me who had attended the event and said, have you ever considered running for the role of trustee? So to hear that come from community members while I was hearing the needs from my own reflection, that was the moment where I really started to give it serious consideration and start to 
put the wheels in motion to make that a success. Wonderful. As a community builder, do you have direct connections with the students as a community builder? Do you actually get to meet with the students or are you one step away from the students? I make a point of staying connected to the students. I believe that we have to. I believe that we're talking about public education and there are many stakeholders that are affected, that are impacted, that are a part of that, whether we're talking about staff, whether we're talking about the families and parents, but ultimately it is the students that are receiving the education. It is the students that have the feedback that we need to hear. And I don't believe that I can sit at a desk and review policies and make decisions without understanding and hearing from those students and those families directly. Sometimes I would say I'm hearing the student voices through the parents because parents are the ones maybe sending the emails, making the phone calls, expressing uh, their experiences. But I make a point of also attending events like our Black Student Showcase that the TDS, right, Black Student Alliance Showcase that the TDSB held, a mental health fair held in my ward. I make a point of attending a number of events where I get to hear from students directly or see them in their element doing what they do directly. I would like to go back, Debbie King, to that special day in your life that you remember so well in 2020. When you spoke, you stood on that picnic table and spoke to that group. You said that you were marching against racism. Why is there need to march against racism? (laughs) It's a loaded question and a simple question all at the same time. On any day that we wake up, if anyone on that day feels any barriers or limits to where they can go, what they can do, what they can say, how they conduct themselves and what they can achieve in that day based on anything external, color of their skin, gender expression, faith that they practice. As long as there is any limitation to that, then there is a need to speak up. Our community felt that need because of actions that directly impacted our school community and needed as a healing practice, needed as a political practice, needed as something very tangible to get out in the streets and make it clear, use their voices and and say that racism is not something that we will tolerate, And we will continue to speak out and we will continue to come together to make sure that those opportunities are there for us equitably. Let me give an applause for your response. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. Are you a cook, Debbie? You ask my husband. The answer is going to be no. (laughs) I have an appreciation for cooking. I have an appreciation for the art and the science of it. I have an appreciation for the great food that comes out of it, but it is not my forte and I will not pretend that it is. Alrighty. Now that we have that part of the stage set, what is your favorite dish that you enjoy eating? Ooh, just one? 
Okay, you can name <laughs> two or three if that makes it easier. Okay, coming from the food that I grew up on and that my mom cooked at home as a Jamaican, many of our dishes are close to my heart. I love a good jerk pork, jerk chicken, and rice and peas. Can never go wrong there. If I'm on the go, a beef patty, cocoa bread, add some coleslaw in there, make it a sandwich. That's good for me. I also, I love risotto. I love a good lobster meal. Gee, there's so many. That's very hard to narrow down. <laughs> the way you answered that question, the tone and the smile on your face and in your voice tells me that you are a foodie like me. I, it's so funny. I wouldn't consider myself one. Again, if you called me a foodie, I would not know. I wouldn't say that. But like I said, I can appreciate a good meal and just and what that means. And I don't think you need to be a, a foodie. I'm not into all the flavors and the chefs and the restaurants. I don't follow all of that. But if you put a good meal in front of me, I can absolutely appreciate You'll enjoy it. it. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. So now that you've talked about food and the foods that you like, let's go back to schools. Most parents, all parents, I would say, would prefer if their children went to attended the best school in town, regardless of where. How would you describe a good school? I'm pausing because I'm hesitant about the term. A good school is not phrasing that I would use. And it's phrasing that I stay away from because I see some of the pitfalls when parents or communities start to label schools as good schools or bad schools or any other adjective um, that you want to give that will give the optics or the perception that um, a child cannot achieve in this setting. A child cannot attend this school and come out with what they need to succeed. Uh, I'm very mindful of just staying away from some of that language. But I think that, you know, what you're getting at are what are those ingredients that set a child up for success within that environment? So when I think about that, I think about obviously the physical building that they're walking into or the physical setting. It doesn't have to be a building per se, but the physical setting that they're walking into, that it looks and feels like somewhere you want to be. Is it well-maintained? Is it upkept? Does it have bright colors? Is the environment something appealing to you as you walk into it? Once you're in there, what happens in that environment? I believe the leadership is key. I believe the school leadership really sets the tone for the climate and for the culture of that school, that there is an air of respect and authority for the people leading, but also an air of respect and authority for the learners in the building. I can tell a lot. I'll tell you now, before this, I'd only been in a limited number of schools, either the schools that I attended growing up in Toronto as a student myself, or the schools that my daughter had attended. And up until that point, there had only been two. So now as a trustee, I have the opportunity to do school visits. I go around, I spend time touring the school with the principal, mm. with the staff, with the superintendent to understand the building and the challenges in the community better. But I also had the opportunity in June to attend many graduation ceremonies. And even coming in and attending those graduation ceremonies, I can tell you that they all had a very different feel. 
to come in at the end of the year and to sit together with the staff, the parents, the caregivers, guardians, and the students that have been in that building together, you absolutely get uh, a feel for the culture of that school. And for some of them, there was such a palpable sense of community and togetherness and unison and fellowship and respect that really came through. There were some that had a, a light and humorous feeling. So it was a, an environment where you could tell the staff and the students had really gotten to know each other on more of a personal level, more of a, I'll say intimate, you know, that I mean that in the most professional and correct way, um, but to really understand each other and to draw out that kind of humor to me, give a sense of family. So when I look at a school, those are the kinds of things that tell me the most about what's going on in there, about how people feel about being in there, and as a result, what they're going to be able to achieve. If you feel good, if you're somewhere where you feel like you have a sense of belonging, you can be who you are, the people here care about you, they are invested in you, the people around you, your peers also want to achieve with you. I think those are the things that set us up for success. And those are the things where ultimately we're going to look at that building. We're going to look at what happens and comes out of that building and call it a quote unquote good school or one of the best schools because we see all of the positive and the success that can come out of it. What initiatives or programs are being discussed or implemented to improve student success in the Toronto District School Board? I think that there are a number of programs and policies at play. I think that there are the elements that are under the purview of TDSB specifically that are happening, and I can talk about some of those. But I think there's also the work that's happening in community adjacent to this, which I think is extremely important. So the TDSB itself will continue with the curriculum direct curriculum that it provides. And within that, I think we see a real push to course correct and achieve more equitable outcomes than we know that we have seen in the past. So we have the data that shows us the graduation rates, the overrepresentation in special education, the underrepresentation in academic programs. We're starting to see the kind of changes like the de-streaming of grade nine math directed by the Ministry of Education. But we're also seeing the TDSB itself take on, take on the challenge of more equitable outcomes through things like changing how we admit students into specialized programs. Am I hearing mm -hmm. you say that the pendulum is swinging in a positive direction? I'm saying that some of the work is happening. I think that we all know the outcomes aren't there yet. So the work happens. We don't necessarily see the outcome at the same time, but we're doing the work to shift the, to swing that pendulum, hoping that over the years or with the goal that over the years, we're going to start to see the impacts of that change. Looking at things now, like how do we see a more representative student population in alternative school programs? in specialized school programs. Starting to make the changes that shift that kind of participation is what we're seeing from the TDSB, and we're seeing the pushback there. 
as well. We have community that applauds that work, that sees that it's long uh, overdue. We have community members that have expressed to us how this has been a benefit, a game changer for their family, has created opportunities and alleviated barriers that were there before. And then we have other families that push back against this work, that see other challenges that don't perceive it in the same way, that don't see the need, or at least not in these ways, to shift those outcomes and to make the changes that we know are necessary to shift those outcomes, right? So there's that work happening, which has its own resistance. But as I said, I think the work that happens with the TDSB is one element and it's important. But I think the work that's happening in community is also so integral. And if I think about the Black Student Success Committee that I was a founding member of, along with other uh, parents, this is exactly the kind of community organization, community building that I think has impact. These were, we were, parents at the time, not part of school council, not part of any kind of formal body but just parents who recognized a need and an opportunity within our community. We have many Black students within our neighborhood and at our school. At the time, we had the blessing of having many Black teachers in the building and a Black administrator. And we thought, what a wonderful opportunity for all of us to come together from our different roles and our different skill sets and experiences and put it all together to see what we could now provide that would help support our students locally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that rolled out into uh, many different initiatives, the Walk Against Racism that you heard earlier, um, a number of very enriching, culturally relevant, local educational and arts-infused experiences that we put on, the advocacy work and the shifts and changes that we were able to affect within the TDSB. And I think just the example and the modeling of being here in the community, of being people that students know are caring adults that are present, that are working with their interests, that are advocating for their needs, um, that see them, that hear them. I think that work is just as important. And we are, I think we're all working toward and hoping for a point that that's a true partnership or that community wealth of wisdom and skills and capacity and heart and willingness comes together with a system that needs to move, a system that needs to change. And I think the hope and I, my, I think my reality where I come from in my thinking is that those two need to come together. They need to work collaboratively, but they also need that tension, that Mm -hmm. challenging is what I think creates that movement. So they're equally important. I I think we lose out if we're losing on any of the work or advancement in any of those areas. It seems that there are many activities, initiatives that are going on in Ward 7. What is the most frustrating thing that you are dealing with as a community builder? As a community builder, I would love to see a critical mass of community come together 
as engaged and effective advocates in public education. I think the the reality and the challenge of that is that folks with school-aged children, folks with kids in the system, um, are at a busy point, a very busy point in their lives. They are often working their own job, taking care of their kids, possibly taking care of adults or other family members too. It's, it's a difficult time, I think, to be engaged in politics and things outside of your life, but it's absolutely a necessary one because you're exactly in that life stage where you're being affected by those policy changes and, and those service changes and things that are happening. For me, I find that I often hear from folks when something has gone wrong, when there's something they don't like, <laughs> and I, we all do that. But I think part of the challenge is forging those relationships, the connections and the conversations not just when things are going wrong for you individually as a family, but when there's an opportunity to add your voice to those larger conversations that are going to impact your community and impact families going forward. So in short answer, how do we get people excited and engaged and being a part of public education? And that's a big question. And I think if we look at participation in the municipal elections, in the provincial elections recently, that's a question I think everybody is asking as we see that kind of dwindling participation. But for me, that's one of my my number one priorities and goals and purposes in that community building and building that engagement and understanding of why it's important. I hear you loud and clear. That engagement needs to happen. But I believe it's been a bit of a trickle, but it's building momentum. There's no question about that. So. You may have spoken about this a little bit, Debbie, but I want you to expand a little bit for me on what what does equity look, feel, and sound like in the education system, educational system? I'm going to start by answering that more individually because I think that's a bit simpler. I think when a family gets up in the morning, can get out of bed, and can start their day with hope, with an expectation that they will be able to walk through their day, achieve what they need to achieve, again, without those barriers. That's what it feels like individually. So for folks that have felt marginalized in education or in any other system, whether they are in Black skin, whether they are Indigenous, whether they identify as 2SLGBTQ plus folks, for them to be able to wake up in their day and have hope and an expectation that they will move through their day without the barriers that they face, that's what equity feels like to me. I think for too many folks, they are waking up in the morning, getting ready with a feeling of dread, an expectation that there will be something that comes in their way, a feeling of anger lingering from the experiences they've had over the past hours, days, weeks, months, years, waking up with those feelings tells me that we don't have an equitable system. You ask me what it looks like in the system. I think there are so many things that need to, to change. I think it looks like who is standing in the classroom and who is sitting in those offices what are their experiences? What are their beliefs? What are their commitments? What is the accountability that they know is there in their roles? 
Um, What's the philosophy of education are they bringing to the school or to the whole picture? Because it's it's grounded in that, isn't it? Absolutely. What does the material look like when you open the textbook, when you turn on the podcast, when you click on the video? Who are you hearing from? Who created that message? Where did it come from? Who's represented in it? We know that we have a very Eurocentric education. We know that it's written, delivered through a lens that is not very, not our own often. I say that as a Black woman, but there are many other people in their identities, in their different intersectional identities who can say the same. Equity looks like, what are the programs available at the school in Weston versus the school in Melbourne versus the school in High Park? Even within High Park, Parkdale High Park, my Ward 7 ward, what do the opportunities look like at the southeast end of the ward here in Parkdale versus the northwest end of the ward at Warren Park and everywhere in between, mm-hmm. right? Equity presents and exists in, in so many different spaces and different ways, but at the end of the day, It's about the experiences that the human being has, how respected they are from the moment they walk in to the moment they walk out and the lingering feelings in between. So how has Debbie King's involvement with fast and female contributed to promoting girls' participation in sports? And what is the mission of this charity? Thank you. Okay, so it's somewhat different, but still related. Uh, One of my other passions, along with education, has been sport. Sport was a big part of my life growing up and uh, still is as a master's athlete. As a master's athlete, one of the things that I wanted to be able to do in addition to competing myself and to coaching was I really wanted to be able to give back and be a part of the capacity building in the sport world for young people. And doing that with girls was just something that really resonated to me, again, as a female growing up in in the sport world. So Fast and Female is a Canadian charity that is dedicated to keeping girls uh, involved in sport and physical activity between the ages of uh, nine and 14. This is an age where uh, the evidence tells us that girls drop off, they drop out of sports at a much higher rate than boys. I don't have the stats at the uh, tip of my tongue right now, but it's a concern. So there are so many benefits that we get out of sports participation. I think I can attest to this because I can look back and I can directly attribute many of my leadership skills to my involvement in sport whether that's the team building, the strategic thinking, the leadership, the, the strength in using your voice, the health aspects, everything that we derive from sport is, is so good for young people, regardless of their sex, regardless of their gender. If we think about the times that we're in coming through the pandemic, the mental health issues, the health issues that young people are facing, we want our young girls to continue to get the benefits that physical uh, movement, physical activity and organized sport can provide. When they drop out of sport at this age, obviously that trajectory ends and it also affects the capacity for the sport moving forward. If we think about where do female coaches come from, where do female officials come from, 
in the business area of sport and entertainment and, and all of that development, what does that look like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, if we don't have girls participating in sport at this time? So that charity is really focused on keeping them involved, but then also with that equity lens and mindset as well, making sure that it's not just skiers in the western part of the country or swimmers in the eastern part of the country that are getting these opportunities, but girls that are newcomers to Canada, that whole different racial, ethnic identities, again, different gender expressions, sexualities, income levels, education levels, making sure that they're all getting opportunities to participate and to get those benefits and to see themselves uh, as players, pun intended, in that field. I'm certainly glad that you spent so much time expanding on the value of sport in girls in the life of, of, of young women. I'm so glad you talked about that. Now, Debbie, I met you at the ceremony for the renaming of a school in Parkdale. And I had goosebumps. As a matter of fact, the tears were, were I had to fight them back because they were renaming the school after a person who, to some degree, I would say, helped build Parkdale. Would you talk about the naming of the school and your involvement in that, please? I will gladly talk about this. <laughs> I think I will talk about it for years to come. This was the first time that I endeavored into a, a project like this, an initiative like this. And Rita, I absolutely, I think I'm getting emotional even just as it comes up because it was so significant and just so overwhelming, not just for me, but I know for everybody that was a part of it and who came to be a part of it. The school that my daughter attended, the school where the Black Student Success Committee was formed, is a school that was previously named Queen Victoria Public School. During our time as a BSSC, Black Student Success Committee, we were involved in much of the advocacy that was happening around addressing anti-Black racism and other discriminations and oppressions that we were seeing that the students and that the staff were facing in the school. There was a lot of work happening in a lot of regards, and it was hard work. It's that activism work, that work of resistance, that work of speaking truth to power, trying to change policies, was really heavy and not always fun work. Coming together for the Walk Against Racism, again, was something that was important, and it had positive elements to it, but it, it wasn't a celebratory kind of event. And there were a couple of things going on at the time while we were looking for very real ways to challenge the kind of oppression that was being faced in that school and in that neighborhood. There was also, I sensed, real need for joy. A reason it felt like the community needed a reason to come together, a reason to work on something positive. Uh, and a reason to, a way to create hope together. So as these two things were happening, as we were in this place of doing this really difficult work, but then also recognizing that there, there was a need for hope at the same time, we thought, wouldn't the renaming of the school be the perfect kind of initiative to address both those things? 
Here we have a highly diverse neighborhood full of children that have literally families that come from around the world and come largely from places that have been colonized and have been largely impacted by the British rule and by the monarchy and to come into a physical building that has that name on it, has that name infused in it and has all of these experiences happening. We thought it doesn't feel right. When you asked what equity looks like, feels like, sounds, that didn't look, feel or sound right. And so here was an opportunity if it wasn't going to be, if we were going to endeavor to rename this and to have a name that was more reflective and representative of the students that actually made up this community and the staff that made up this community, what would that look like to do that together? So that was the beginning of that initiative. And I, I've lost your question to begin with. <laughs> but I'm well, you've done a marvelous keep... job with it. You've done a marvelous job with going it. That... Particularly your enthusiasm. I can feel it exuding from your pores as you speak of about renaming that school. So you've done a marvelous job responding to that question. I thank you. You're I, welcome. I can tell you a little bit about the process just because I do think it's important to understand, you know, it's not something that just happened with the snap of fingers. It was a two year long process um, that was very involved with community members, with school community, having consultations, having small group meetings, larger group meetings to help understand why the change was happening, but also to start hearing and really mining out of community. What are the values that are important to this community? What would represent this community? If it's not that colonial past and that name, then what is it? What is the hope? What is the future? And I think it was a really important process to come to that together. Some of what we heard that ended up being so significant was a desire for representation, but also for solidarity between different communities that had been marginalized, that had that, that shared that past. So what we specifically heard was that there needed to be an acknowledgement and a recognition of Indigenous community, and there also needed to be that acknowledgement and representation of Black community at the core along with all of the other communities and representation that we know that would be uplifted along with that. So that idea of that Afro-Indigenous solidarity as an example was something that was really key that came out of those conversations. And then taking the time to consult with Indigenous knowledge keepers and language experts to make sure that we were getting um, the, the phrasing, the spelling, the, the words and the meaning correct as well. And then taking that to the board and having that formalized through approval by the board of trustee. All of that, sorry, all of that was a two-year process that, that led to the great celebration that you were able to attend, Rita. We're coming to the end of this conversation. I want to know, since you are into 90s music, what is the record that you hear really just sets your heart a fire. Most death, Miss Fat Booty. Why? <laughs> it is clever. It is catchy. It makes me dance. It makes me smile. It's got uh, little notes of Jamaican flavor in it. Uh, I just think it's a brilliant piece of music that I am always ready to hear. 
we have heard about your work. We have heard that you are passionate about equalizing education. We have heard about what started you on the path to becoming a trustee. But I want to hear a little bit more about Debbie King, the girl, because people don't often get a chance to talk about their childhood. We see them, we meet them in the community. We know what they do. But I want, I, I like to bring a little bit of a soft spot into the interview. Tell us about De Debbie King between the ages of 14 to 16. Debbie King at 14 was really finding herself. I grew up very much as a, a respectful, good student, a good young, proper kind of girl. Uh, 14 was really, I really find, started to find my own voice and my own direction. So at 14, I went out and got my first part-time job at Chuck E. Cheese. I showed up for volleyball tryouts. And that started, again, a whole trajectory I wouldn't even have predicted at the time. And at the time, I was also moved into a gifted program within my school. Uh, at junior high. And the reason I bring up those three things specifically is because those are three areas where I started to see my advocacy come through. When I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, I was automatically made a hostess with all the other girls while all the men, all the boys worked in the kitchen. I questioned that and I landed myself a job in the kitchen, which I couldn't stand. <laughs> <laughs> Playing volleyball, showing up to try out and start to be in a space that allowed me to use my voice, to be loud, where aggression was welcomed. There was a positive kind of space for aggression and, and loudness in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And then being in the gifted class in junior high, uh, I quickly uh, found that gifted class was very much segregated from the rest of the school population. We were doing things like taking our breaks at a separate time. Uh, and that wasn't something that sat well with me either. So that was something I spoke up in, against and was able to change. So all of that to say that 14 to 16 was really, it was a time when I started to find, I think, more confidence in my voice, in my opinions, in my perspective, and started to figure out how to move into the spaces that would allow me to use my voice and, and affect some change in that space. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I wish this conversation could go on forever. But I will say this. You are always welcome to come back and continue this conversation. Because in your role as a community builder, every day is different. Every challenge is different. We, as Black people, need to hear these challenges, which we can use to inspire others to grab the baton and move forward. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Rita and I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I am so appreciative for what you provide. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Speak Up! Exclamation Point International. If you would like to contact Debbie King, kindly provide your name and email address and send it to info at speakuppodcast.ca. Please state in your email you wish to contact Debbie King. Would you like to be interviewed by Speak Up! Exclamation Point International? Please drop us a line containing your name, company name, the service you provide to your community, and email address to info at speakuppodcast.ca. You can reach us using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To connect to our podcast, use Spotify or your favorite podcast platform and search for Speak Up! Exclamation Point International. You can also find our podcast using our web address, www.speakuppodcast.ca. Our logo has the woman with her finger pointing up, mouth open, speaking up. At Speak Up! Exclamation Point International, we aim to inspire, to inform, and to educate.